love that. I don't know about you, but I love being in the Lord's presence. When they were singing about holy, holy Lord God Almighty, it reminded me of one of the few images and pictures that we have of heaven. And uh, God showed the, the prophet what was happening in his throne room. And every day there are angels who are tasked with just surrounding the Lord and letting him know, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So when we were down here, we weren't just singing for ourselves, but we were joining in with what was going on in the throne room today. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this beautiful time of worship, Lord. We thank you that you came and met us in this house today. And as we move into this time of the word, Lord, we pray that you would just continue to be present, Lord. Would you speak to us? Lord, let my words fall away and let your words be those that are heard. Lord, I, there are people in this house that need a word from you today. And so, Father, we are opening our ears to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are continuing our series on the miracles of Jesus. And uh, when we were planning out this series, uh, pastor kept coming to me and he said, you know, you're going to be preaching one of these weeks. He said, have you picked a miracle yet? And I, I kept putting it off and putting it off. It was so hard to do. You know, it's like trying to pick your favorite book or your favorite movie. There's so many stories about Jesus that I love. And, and so, you know, you can't just limit it to one. You know, I was like, well, can I just do a top 10, you know, or something like that. But, uh, but we did have to land on one, and so he was, he was pestering me. He said, you got to pick one, you got to pick one, because he didn't want to pick the same one I did. And so I, he said, have you picked your miracle yet? And I said, sure. I said, I'll take winning the lottery for $600, Alex. And he said, I don't think that one's in the Bible. And he said, well, will you settle for a coin and a fish's mouth? I said, you know what? That's not a bad idea. And he said it just as a joke, but I prayed about it. And I said, God, if this is the one you want me to talk about, then I can do that. Now, if you know me, you know I'm not a fisherman. This is not my thing. So I know there's a few of you in here who are fishermen. And so if you feel led, just get up and, and run around. If you get the, the spirit on you, you know, now don't get up and run out and go fishing. Let's wait till after church for that. But anyway, before we get too far into this, I just want to say I see a few faces that I haven't seen in a while before, and so I just want to welcome you all. It's good to see you, Seth, down here on the front row. It's good to see you. Um, and we've got a few more in the back, and, uh, and so we just want to acknowledge your presence today and let you know we're so glad that you're here with us. Also, I've been told that we have a birthday girl in the house today. Miss Sandra Ballard is having a birthday, and so I wish we, she'd brought some birthday cake for us all to share, but we just want to let you know that we love you and we appreciate you today. All right, well, even if you're not a fisherman, most of us know that a fishing story has a tendency to grow in the telling. You know, what might have been a three-pound fish turns into a five-pound fish, turns into a ten-pound fish, turns into I had to strap it to the top of my Volkswagen Beetle to get it home, you know. Uh, and uh, it's kind of the same way, though, with this story. When you look at this, these verses that we're looking at today, it's only four verses. It's a very short story, uh, and yet I think that we can get a lot out of it. And so that's my prayer for today, that as we look at this fishing story, that it grows in the telling. Um, now, one of the interesting things about this story is that it's only found in Matthew. If you look in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is one of the stories that Matthew uh, decided this one needed to go in. And all the others either hadn't heard this story or they didn't think it was part of the, the flow of what they were trying to say. But Matthew said, there's something important that we need to get out of this. And so one of the things I like to do when I find something like that in Scripture, I want to ask myself, well, why did Matthew think it was so important to tell us this story? What information is there 
in here that Matthew said, no, they need to know this. They need to know about what Jesus said and did in this, in this place. And so really it comes back to the whole idea of miracles in general. What is the point of a miracle? You know, um, God does miracles, not just for fun, not just because he's bored and he had nothing better to do. He usually performs a miracle because he's trying to do something in our lives. He's trying to teach us something. He's trying to show us something. So as we read this passage, and, and maybe you've read it before, maybe you haven't, but if you haven't, I want you to pay close attention because you can really dig into the Word. You can really uh, investigate it and see what God's trying to speak, and God will show you new things each time you read it. If you've read this story a hundred times, I believe you can still get something fresh out of it today. So I'm going to read. Uh, this is in Matthew chapter 17 if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, and we're going to be, read verses 24 through 27. It says, when they came to Capernaum, uh, Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? Do they take it from their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a silver coin. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So let's just start with a little background of what's going on here. This was not a, a government tax. This wasn't income tax. This wasn't a payroll tax. This was a voluntary tax that Jewish people paid uh, towards the, the temple, the upkeep of the temple. This started all the way back in Exodus chapter 30 when it said all the people, all the men of Israel that are 20 years old or older, they need to come to the tabernacle and they need to pay a half shekel uh, to, to ransom themselves, to purchase their soul, you know, because they belong to the Lord. And so uh, you, you need to contribute this towards the, the tabernacle. It was a way of getting everybody to do their part and a way of, getting, uh, of them acknowledging that, God, I belong to you. And so what they did was they took all those silver coins and they melted them down and they used them to make a lot of the things in, in the tabernacle. They used them to make the bases of, of the tents. Um, there, there were poles that went up that held up the tent curtains that went around the tabernacle and those were made out of that silver. They also made clasps that, that held everything together. So every time the Jewish people and the Jewish men went into the tabernacle to make their sacrifices, to make their offerings, they could look over and they could see all the silver and they could see and say, you know, this was my ransom. My, my, I was a part of, of building this. This was a part of me and, and I'm invested in this tabernacle. Well, as you know, the tabernacle was eventually replaced by the temple. And so uh, when Nehemiah came back and he restored Jerusalem and restored the temple, he reinstated this tax. He said, hey, listen, nothing comes for free. So if we're going to keep this temple up, if we're going to take care of it the way we're supposed to, we're going to need everybody con to contribute. So each year, the Jewish people would come and the men would bring this half shekel tax. And so, um, you know, this was, uh, this was something that they were used to doing. Now, they could do this several different times. They were supposed to do it by Passover, but they were forgiving, you know, because this was a voluntary tax. So if you didn't have it by Passover, you could wait till Pentecost. And if you didn't have it by then, then you could wait till uh, the, the, the festival of tabernacles. And so, you know, the, the, the tax reminders would come and remind you, you know, at, at Passover, you'd say, well, do you have your tax money? They'd say, no, I don't have it yet. Okay, well, we'll come back and we'll check with you at Pentecost. Well, here we are, you know, Jesus hadn't paid the tax at Passover and he hadn't paid it at Pentecost. So now we're here at the 
the, fast, the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, and they're saying, hey, look, is, is your master going to pay or not? And so uh, Peter just automatically answered. He said, well, yeah, of course, because he knew who Jesus was, and he knew what his character was, and that he was observant. But then he probably thought about it, and he said, you know what? We've learned some things about Jesus. Jesus has some different way of looking at things, and so maybe I ought to check in with him. And so um, just to place this in context, in Matthew chapter 17, it starts off with this great vision. Jesus took Peter and James and John up onto a mountain, and they were given a vision of Jesus speaking to Moses and Elijah. And, and they heard a voice from the heavens saying, this is my son, you know, listen to him. And so they were given this great revelation that this is the son of God. And then as they come down off the hill, they're, they're confronted by a father with a, a demon-possessed child, and, and Jesus commanded the demon to flee, and so he showed his authority then. So Jesus had come from this, this, high, uh, this high point, this transfiguration. If, if they had any question in their mind as to whether or not Jesus was the Son of God, they had no question after that experience on the mountaintop. And yet once you come down off the mountaintop, you're smacked in the face with the realities of life. Taxes are due. Now, I don't know about you, but I hate tax season. It's the worst. I, I don't like being reminded of the fact that I have to pay money. I don't like being reminded of the fact that I don't even have to write the check most of the time. They just take it out of my paycheck automatically. And that doesn't seem fair to me. You know, I don't get to go take money out of their paycheck. They shouldn't be taking money out of mine. You know, but, but, but tax time, it's, just, it's, it's a reminder that, you know, it, it's a natural part of life. It's something we all have to face. They say that there's nothing certain in life except for death and taxes, right? And, uh, and if Jesus went through everything we, we, we do, he did it here as well. He faced both death and taxes. Uh, but let's, uh, let's look at this as an example. Jesus is a perfect example of being in the world. We deal with the realities of the world. We, we deal with the realities of the situations that we face, but we're not of this world. And so let's look and see a little bit what we learn from this story. Well, first of all, it's interesting that when Peter walks in, he doesn't have to tell Jesus what's going on outside. Jesus already knows, all right? And so that's the first point, that Jesus knows all. Um, we often think that no one understands what we're going through. We think that, you know, no one, no one hears me. No one sees me. No one understands what I'm going through. They've not been in my situation. They haven't walked in my shoes. And so sometimes that can feel very lonely. We can feel like, you know, I'm facing something that's never been faced before. And even if in our mind we know, you know, I'm not the only one who's ever lost a loved one, or I'm not the only one who's ever gotten a scary diagnosis, or I'm not the only one who's ever been laid off my job. You know, we, we see these situations and, you know, even though we know that it's not true that we're the only one to ever go through that, we still feel alone in that because no one's in that moment with you, feeling that pain with you. Even if you've got a spouse or a friend who's there with you, trying to comfort you, console you, be there for you as you go through a tough time, it, 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 they are there with you. They feel bad because you feel bad, but they don't feel the same feeling that you do, right? One of the things I'm trying to work on in my life is being more empathetic. You know, I, I, want, I want to try to listen more. When people tell me some of their struggles, I'm, I'm trying to be present and be, you know, be in that situation with us because, you know, that, that's what the Bible says. We're supposed to lift one another up. We're supposed to carry each other's burdens. We're supposed to do all of that. But I'm learning that, that that's so hard to do because one of the things that happens is when people start telling me, well, I'm facing this situation or my boss is doing this or, you know, my, my, my son or daughter is doing this and, and I hear 
in this situation, the first thing I want to do is relate it to something I've gone through, you know, and then it can feel like you're trying to compare yourself with others. It can feel like you're trying to say, well, you've been through that while I've been through this, you know, and there's sometimes you just haven't been through what other people have been through. You know, you haven't faced what they have faced. You haven't been in their shoes. So sometimes we have to learn how to just shut our mouths and say, you know what? That really stinks. I'm sorry you're going through that. I'm here for you. I love you. I'm praying for you. Don't worry. You're not going through this alone, but don't try to take away what they're feeling in that moment. And so I've had to learn how to be a better listener. I'm I'm the first to admit I'm not the best listener. You know, I'm working on it. You know, I'm in progress, but but we, uh, we have a father. We have a God in heaven who is a great listener and he is with us no matter what we go through. Jesus knew everything, and he used his knowledge not to condemn Peter, not to to tear him down, uh, but he used his knowledge to help grow Peter's faith. He said, hey, Peter, guess what? I already know what you're going to ask, and let me address this situation. And uh, the fact that God sees and hears everything that we're going through, everything that we say, everything that we do, it can have one of two results. It can either be a very convicting experience Or it can be a comforting experience. And it depends on, are we living with integrity or not? You know, we like to think that, that no one knows, no one knows that I, uh, that, that, that I flipped that person off behind their back, you know, or, or no one knows that, that I cheated just a little bit, that I fudged the numbers just a bit. No one knows that I didn't clock in at eight o'clock. I clocked in at eight Oh seven. You know, we, no one caught me. No one saw it, you know, but God sees it all. He knows it all the good things and the bad things. He knows the things that you never let come out of your mouth, but you were thinking it. I had that problem a lot when I was a kid, man, I got, I got so bad, I, especially with my parents because they would talk and I knew better than to back talk because if I back talk, I was going to pay the penalty. But in my head, I was sitting there, I was saying, I wish they would just shut up. I wish they would just go away. I wish they would just leave me alone. And if I had opened my mouth, I wouldn't be standing here before you today. But God knew what I was thinking. God knew what I was saying in my spirit. And, and so, you know, the fact that God knows everything that can either be a convicting thing or it can be a comforting thing. Because if we are trying to do what's right, if we are trying to live according to God's standards, then, then we have a companion. We know that he's with us through everything. We're never alone. We never have to face everything under our own power and under our own strength. I don't know about you, but my strength is limited. My strength runs out. My power, my energy runs out. But God's will never. So that's the first thing that this tells us about Jesus. Before Peter even opened his mouth to talk to Jesus, Jesus already knew what the situation was and he already had an answer and he was already trying to open Peter's eyes to see the true reality of the situation. Hey, look, Peter, we don't even owe this tax. We're God's sons. Does the king's sons have to pay tax? No, they don't have to. But let's move on. Jesus uses that that, that knowledge, that, that, that omniscience to grow Peter's faith. You know, when we're operating integrity, in integrity, then that can be a comforting fact for all of us. The next thing that we need to know is that Jesus owns all, right? You don't owe the tax because that's his temple. Everything in this earth belongs to him. Money and resources can be a very touchy subject for some people. You know, um, I was talking with somebody the other day, and, and it, you know, it's funny how we dance around certain things. We don't ask people exactly how much they paid for their house or how much they make in a year. We, we, we keep our w two secret, and we don't always tell everything about our financial situation. We don't want people to know that we're in debt up to our eyeballs or our eyebrows or maybe even over our head, you know. We, we, we keep those things secret because money's an emotional subject. 
You know, whether you grew up in a house where you had plenty of money or whether you grew up in a house that had only a little money, you know, that forms how you deal with that tool, with that resource. You know, my grandparents, they grew up in, in, shortly after the, the Great Depression, and so they, were, they grew up in a time of want, and you could see that in little things. They, they never gave away anything. They never threw away anything. My grandfather would have cans of beans that were a decade out of date in the cabinet, but I might eat that someday, and it's still good. It's sealed in the can, you know? And, and the same thing, even when you, even when you uh, finished drinking a soda, he always had soda for the grandkids when you'd come over, but you couldn't throw that can away because you could take that can and you could crush it and you could go turn it in and you could get three cents for that, you know? And it just seemed like a whole lot of work for three pennies, but, you know, that's how grandfather, my grandpa was raised, and so that's what he did. And because he came out of that time of want, it shaped how he dealt with money for his entire life. So for some of us, we come from a, a, a place of want. We come from a place of need. And so anytime we get a little money, we hold on to it. We get that money grip on it. You know, we're not going to let go of it. And so we have to hoard it up. And then for others of us, we always had whatever we needed. Mom and dad always provided. They were always there. We always got to go on fun vacations. And so then the, the, the idea or the mindset that we have might be that, well, money's just there to be spent and have fun. And I'm, if I've got $1,000, I'm going to go spend until I've spent it all. And then, then it's time to stop, you know, or sometimes we don't stop. And we keep spending after the thousand is gone. But there's a lot of emotion tied up in money. I've learned that. Men, men and women, they look at money differently. Men are much more willing to, to risk things usually. Um, whereas women, they want to have a little more security. You know, you might think, well, it doesn't make sense to leave $10,000 sitting in the bank uh, where it's not doing anything. It's not invested. It's not making any interest. But you know what? Having that cushion, having that safety blanket, you know, that can be a big thing for some people, especially if they didn't grow up with that. So even those of us who God has blessed with wealth have not always been that way, but almost all of us have been through times where we had little and times where we had a lot. Jesus, what I think is interesting here is he doesn't even worry about the money side of it. And what's funny is, you know, Jesus was raised by a tradesman father. His father was a builder, a carpenter, some say, or some say a stonemason. The, the, the word actually translated as builder, you could, you could say it was more like general contractor. If you needed it built, if you needed it made, he could do it. And so Jesus was raised in a home where you worked for your money. It, he didn't come from a wealthy background. And yet when they're faced with, hey, you need to pay a year's worth of taxes, where is it? He didn't it didn't bother him at all. He, it, the, the, the fact that he didn't have money, it held no power over him because he knew who his father was. So whether we are paycheck to paycheck or whether or we're not, uh, we can't go through our life afraid of running out of money, afraid of running out of resources. Why can't we do that? Because God is here for us and he's always going to give us what we need. How many times in scripture do we have to see that God miraculously comes through for people? You know, uh, I love the story where Elijah goes to the widow and he says, hey, I'm hungry. Bake me a cake. And she said, no, I can't. She said, I've got a little bit of oil. I got a little bit of flour. I'm going to make us some pancakes. We're going to eat it and then we're going to die. You know, and, and that was where she was at. She had just resigned herself to the fact that God's not going to come for, through for me. I'm a widow. I don't have anybody to take care of me. So me and my son, we're going to eat our pancakes and we're going to croak. And God came through for them. God gave them the oil. God gave them the flour. God gave them everything they needed for the duration of that famine. God sent miraculous provision for them. 
And so that's the way it is. Jesus here, he, he knew, like, I, I, I have to imagine what was going through Jesus' mind at this time. He looks at Peter, and Peter's sitting there thinking, I'm just a poor fisherman. I don't have money to pay the tax. And you have to know Jesus was laughing on the inside. He's like, watch this. We're going to blow his mind, right? We're going to show him something funny. Uh, and, but Jesus owns it all. And so here's my, my thing that, that, that we need to learn today is that, you know, if we are in a time of need, we don't have to stress. We don't have to worry. Yes, we have to be wise with our money. Yes, we have to steward it well. You know, if, if you've got bills due, don't go out partying. You know, if, if you've got, uh, if you've got a, a big tax bill going or if you crashed your car and you need to buy a new one, don't turn around and take a vacation. Be smart with your money, but don't worry about it because God will provide what you need, especially if you're faithful and you're stewarding it well. The next thing that we need to learn is that Jesus controls all. When we look in this story, we see that Jesus knew down to the detail what was going on. Think about it. If you do some research, you'll see that in the Sea of Galilee, there's about 22 different species of fish. And this big lake, this big sea that they call it, it's about 65 square miles worth of water. So when you start doing the math on that, let's start thinking about, well, how many fish were in that lake? And how many of them were going to be in that area where Peter was fishing? And how many of those are going to have a coin in their mouth? And if they did have a coin in their mouth, what's the likelihood that that's going to be exactly how much they need? If you read into it, uh, some translations just say a silver coin. Others give the denomination. They tell you that it was a stator coin. Well, if you know anything about the the ancient money system, uh, a stator coin was worth four drachmas. Well, what was the tax? It was two drachmas. So the fact that they pulled a stator coin out of the fish's mouth meant that they pulled exactly the amount out to pay for Peter and Jesus's uh, tax. Now, you know, if I'd have been one of the other 11 disciples, I would have been like, hey, wait a minute. You know, you're paying Peter's tax. Where's my tax money? Come on. I've been following you too. I've been working too, you know. But, but the, the point is, is Jesus was trying to show that he's in control of the details. John 21, 11 tells us that they could go out and they could cast uh, a net into the, into the Sea of Galilee and they could pull up as many as 150 fish, 153 according to that story. And so there, there's a lot of fish in that water. So the likelihood that they're going to find the exact fish that they need at the exact time, it's just crazy. And then Jesus made it even harder. You know, Peter was a fisherman. He was used to fishing with nets. That's what he'd grown up doing. That's what he was doing when Jesus found him. He was out there, he was fixing the nets and he was fishing. And Jesus said, hey, I don't want you to fish the old way. I want you to fish the harder way. Don't go out with a net and just throw it in and pull the fish out. He said, I want you to get a hook and work for it. Now, again, I said, I'm not a fisherman. But you know, those of you who are, that you got to work for it sometimes. You got to put the, the fish in, or you got to put the hook in just the right place. You got to, or, or you have to just use the right kind of bait for the right kind of fish. Or you got to make a move in just the right way, you know. They say about fly fishing that it's more of an art than, than, than uh, a sport, you know, because you really have to learn how to imitate an, an insect if you want to, want to uh, tempt the fish to bite. Um, but Jesus told him, he said, fish with a hook, not with a net. He said, don't fish until you're done fishing. Don't pull up 20 fish. He said, on the first one you catch, I want you to open its mouth and you're going to find a coin. And it would be just enough to pay the tax. Jesus had demonstrated over and over and over again to his disciples that he was in control. He was in charge. That he had control of the details. All right? He, he, he had control over storms. He had control over sickness. He had control over death and disease and demons. All of those things. In each of those situations, there was never a time where Jesus didn't have the authority or the power to do what was needed to do. 
And so if the saying is true that the devil is truly in the details, Jesus was demonstrating, hey, I got him whipped there too, right? It, it doesn't matter how many details and stipulations you want to put on this thing. I'm in control. I'm in charge. And I'm coming through in this situation. So that was the third thing we need to learn about Jesus is that Jesus controls all. The next thing we should learn is that Jesus serves all. He says, hey, so that we don't offend anybody, let's go ahead and pay this tax. Even though we don't really owe it, right? Let's go ahead and pay this because we don't want to offend anybody. Now you might sit there and you might think, now wait a minute, this doesn't sound like Jesus. Why would he care about offending somebody who was ignorant? And, and I'm not using that term uh, in the incorrect way. They were ignorant. They didn't really know who Jesus was. They didn't understand that he wasn't, uh, he wasn't subject to that tax like they were because he was God's son. And so even though they were ignorant in that situation, um, Jesus didn't want to offend them. Um, this word that was used there, is, so it says, so that we don't cause offense. This is the same word that we find in Romans 14, 21. And it's the same word that we find in 1 Corinthians 8, 13. Both of those passages are talking about Christian freedom. They're talking about how, hey, look, because you're a, Christ, because you're a Christian, because you're in Christ, you're no longer bound by all these other rules and restrictions. You have freedom in Jesus. But just because we have that freedom doesn't mean that we can just do whatever we want. We have to be mindful of others. We have to serve others. We have to make sure that uh, in our freedom, we're not caught creating uh, issues for other people. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Jesus had a wisdom to know which battles were worth fighting. He wasn't above calling out hypocrites. He wasn't above speaking a harsh truth. You know, how many of you guys struggle with that? I know I do. Sometimes you have to be uh, a, a little bit brutally honest sometimes. Sometimes you have to give people feedback that you know isn't going to be a whole lot of fun. You know that it's going to probably hurt their feelings. You know that it's not going to be a fun experience. And so, you know, we avoid it. A lot of us have probably worked for a boss that will let things go on for far too long because they don't want to have a difficult conversation with one of their employees. But Jesus wasn't one to turn away from those kinds of things. Instead, he was looking at this situation and he was saying, look, I could fight these people over these two drachmas. I could fight these people over this tax. I could say, you know what? I'm the son of God. I don't have to pay that. But he realized that this wasn't a battle worth fighting because he was on a mission. He was trying to do something for the Lord, right? And he was trying to hit the whole point of the, all these interactions was so that he could teach the disciples, this is how we need to interact with the world. This is what God's trying to do in the world. And these are the things that we need to, to get on board with. And so he, he wouldn't, wasn't afraid to point out hypocrites or speak harsh truth. He would even flip a table or two, right? When people say, act like Jesus, you can say, hey, you know, I can go in there and flip a table as good as the rest. I can run you out of church, right? I can scream and holler and, and swing a whip over my head. That sounds like fun. We should do that at church one day. But he knew that his mission was more important than his rights, and I thought that was interesting. He was, his right was to not pay that tax. He was the king's son. And sometimes we get caught up on our rights. Um, and, and I think about that, especially for Americans, like we have a special understanding for that, that word rights. We think of the Bill of Rights. We think of all of our freedoms that are protected. And we, we, we exercise those freedoms. We can plead the fifth. We can, uh, we can exercise the Second Amendment right. We can exercise our freedom of speech right. We, we get caught up on those kinds of things. And it's funny to me when you talk to people from other parts of the world, they have no conception of that. They don't understand freedom of speech because they can be thrown 
in jail for criticizing the wrong person. They can be thrown in jail for, for printing the wrong thing in, 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 on a blog or on a news site or, or making a, a podcast that's critical. You know, and so for them, they don't even understand the freedoms. We have more freedoms than anywhere else in the world. But here's the thing. As Christians, sometimes we need to take a step back and say, you know what? I don't need to exercise my right right now because that's going to be counter to what God's trying to do. Sure, I have freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want in here in America. I can, I can say whatever I want. But will me saying what I want to say, will me, will, will, will me sharing my opinion advance the cause of Christ? Or will it just make another enemy? Will it close another mind? You know, we can't change people. We can't be persuasive to people if we're constantly coming at them and we're being hateful and we're spouting our opinions. You know, we, we, we've got to sometimes take some humility and, 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 and say, you know what, it doesn't matter uh, that, that I share my opinion in this very moment. Now, there are times when, it, when it's necessary. There are times when, when I'm glad to have the protections of, of our government. But there are other times where I have to step back and say, is this going to actually move forward the cause of Christ? And then the last thing that we learn about Jesus in this passage is that Jesus ransomed all. And if the praise team wants to come on forward, we're, we're getting towards the end of this. But in Exodus chapter 30, I told you this, this whole tax came from a time when uh, they paid a tax to ransom their soul. Ransom 30, uh, Exodus 30, 12 says it was a ransom for himself to the Lord. Now, when we think of ransom, we're thinking like kidnapping, right? So you pay the ransom to get your stuff back. Just recently, there have been some cyber criminal attacks where they attacked certain utilities and they said, hey, we're not going to let you turn your utilities back on until you pay us money. That sounds like a pretty slick gig, right? They got some, some good money and all they had to do was just do some things on a computer. But the thing is, is a ransom is not a good place to be in. A place where you owe a ransom, you don't want to be there, right? You think about people who are in jail and they're released on bond. Yeah, they might be out and about, but they got some fancy jewelry on their ankle and they've got a ransom that needs to be paid. If they don't pay it, what's going to happen? They're going back to jail. We don't want to be in a place where we owe something. And just as Jesus didn't really owe the temple tax, he also didn't really owe the penalty for sin. He didn't owe that, but he paid it anyway. Why did he pay it? He paid it for you and for me. When he paid Peter's tax, it was a foreshadowing of what he was going to do for the rest of us. He was trying to let them understand this is what's going to happen. It says when they came down off the mountain from the transfiguration and Jesus had cast the demon out of that young boy, then he stops and he says, hey, just so you know, don't get too caught up in the glory things. Don't get too caught up in the, in the miracles and the, the awesome signs and wonders that are going on because here's what's going to happen when we get to Jerusalem. The Son of Man is going to be handed over and they're going to kill him and then he's going to rise again in three days. And it said that the disciples were grieved by this. They should have been rejoicing. They should have been happy. Instead, they were acknowledging that some bad things were going to have to happen. But it happened for a reason. Jesus tried to make that more and more clear. He paid Peter's tax. And then in Matthew chapter 20, he makes sure and he tells his disciples as clear as day, he puts it in black and white for them. Actually, he puts it in red letters, right? If you're reading in the Bible, he puts it in red letters for you so that you can know. He says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is hard to understand. I don't want to pay my own taxes. Why would I want to pay somebody else's, right? I mean, I, I don't like getting my own tax bill. Why would you, if you came and brought me yours, I would say, good luck, buddy, right? I wouldn't pay that for you. And yet Jesus was willing to pay a penalty that he didn't owe for us. 
And Peter eventually realized it. One of the things I love about Peter is that he was a little thick sometimes. It took him some time to, to process and, and to really understand what Jesus was trying to say. And the reason I like that is because I'm a little thick sometimes too. Sometimes I feel like God has to beat me over the head with a truth before it finally gets through. And it's not just me saying the words, but I understand it in my heart and I hold on to it. And I'm like, God, that's true. You've gotten through to me. I understand it now. And that's the truth. We, if we owed the penalty for all of our wrongdoings, for all of our sins, for all of our struggles, if we owed that penalty, we couldn't pay it. There's no way. There's no way. That would be like if, if, if the IRS contacted you and said, hey, listen, we've been checking on some things and you've done your taxes a little wrong and you owe us $4 million in back taxes and we need it by Friday. What would you do? <laughs> yeah, we might cry a little bit. We might book a ticket to Costa Rica and never come back. I don't know what we would do. But either way, we wouldn't be able to pay that. And it's the same with Jesus. Um, Jesus came and he was going to pay this penalty for us. And Peter eventually realized it. How do we know this? When Peter was an old man, he wrote a letter. We call it 1 Peter in the Bible. And in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, he said this. He said, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold or, fish or coins from a fish's mouth, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus came and he paid our penalty for us. He came and he paid what we didn't have the ability to do. And so we are uh, thankful for that. You know, we couldn't even function. We couldn't be in a right relationship with God if it weren't for the gift of Jesus paying our debt for us. So we see here several things that we need to learn about Jesus just from four, script, four verses. You know, you might think, it doesn't do me any good to read my Bible because I can't read it for long periods of time. I don't have the attention span or I don't understand it. It's not in language, I understand. But here in four verses, we learn a lot of things about Jesus. We learn that he knows everything. We learn that, that there's nothing that we're going through that God doesn't understand. There's no situation that you face that God doesn't know every detail. He probably, he knows more about it than you do. He knows what are the hidden causes behind it. You know, he, he knows uh, things that have been going on behind the scenes. How many of you have been faced with a situation where you're like, I don't understand why it's like this. I don't understand why my, my loved one is sick. Or I don't understand why um, I can't seem to move forward in my career. Or I don't understand why all these things that I taught my child and they seemed like they had it. And all of a sudden they turned 12 years old and it's like they've forgotten everything I taught them. And I don't understand what's going on. Jesus knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in their life. The second thing we learn is that Jesus owns it all. He owns it all. It all belongs to him. Everything that you have, everything that you've worked for, it belongs to him. So when God asks you to give a little bit back as a tithe or an offering, you're not giving anything from you. You're just giving back what already belonged to him. But the flip side of that is because it all belongs to him, that means if you need it, he can provide it. That means if, if you have a need in your life, if you, if you owe a bill, if you, if you need uh, some favor in your life, it, whatever you need, God has that provision for you. The third thing we learn is that God controls it all. He's in charge of every single little detail. 
He's in control of, of, of everything. You know, it's crazy. Um, I, I see sometimes these scientists and they try to predict all these things. You know, that they've got these big, um, uh, what do they call them, uh, uh, particle accelerators where they crash the, the atoms together and they split apart and they've got mathematical formulas predicting where they think every little piece of debris is going to go. And I think, man, what, what, what kind of uh, intelligence and knowledge and, and, and scientific uh, advancements have had to take place for them to have that kind of knowledge? And yet God has that kind of knowledge and more. He knows every little thing that's going to happen. You know, we don't know what's going to happen when we open our eyes each morning, but God knows. He knows who's going to cross your path that day. He knows what unknown circumstances are going to hit you. He knows whether or not you're going to get hung up in traffic that day. He knows it all because he's in control of it all. And when we understand that, we can let go of that anxiety that holds on to us because anxiety is, is a terrible thing. Anxiety's got a lot of us bound up right now. What, what happens is we start worrying about things. We think, well, I don't know the answer. Well, who cares if you don't know the answer? You serve a God who does. You say, I don't have the resources. Who cares if you don't have the resources? You, you serve a God who, who owns the cattle of a thousand hills. God can provide it all. And so if we just surrender that, acknowledge that he's in control, that gives us a confidence to approach life. The fourth thing we see here is that Jesus serves all. You know, that's what matters, the mission. Jesus was on a mission. He was on a mission to, to make a difference in this world. And so we have to be about that same business. We have to be on a mission. We have to see that it's not what we want in life. It's not our dreams. It's not our hopes. It's not our desires. It's getting on board with what the kingdom of God is doing. You know, there are times when I sit down and I pray and I'm like, God, what's going on in this city? Why is there so much crime? Why are there people getting shot down in front of the mall? You know, what, why are their homes being broken apart? Why are there people that are so hooked on drugs and alcohol and, and that they're homeless living under a bridge? Why is that kind of stuff happening? Why are their families torn apart every day? Why are their children being abused? And, and I say, what's going on there? And yet, every time I see that and I start to despair, God will remind me, remember when I did this? Remember when I delivered this situation? Remember how I came through for this person? And I see that God is at work. And even though we have to go through a lot of stuff, we live in a, the, the world is a, is a muddy place. It's not easy to figure out. It's confusing sometimes. And I'm glad that I don't have to figure it out all on my own because God is in control and he's working. And so we just have to get on board with that. And then the last thing is that God, Jesus ransomed us all. You don't have to pay the debt on your own. You couldn't if you wanted to. You couldn't if you tried. If we tried to keep a tally mark of all the times I did something right and all the times I did something wrong, I'd wear my pencil off on the things I did wrong every day, every day. And I'm no different than you. I know I'm a pastor. I know I've, I'm, I'm an ordained bishop in the church of God, but I'm no different than you. I make mistakes just the same. I put my foot in my mouth. I say the wrong thing. I'm selfish sometimes. I do all of those same things that you do. And I'm so glad though, that I don't have to walk around feeling condemned, feeling bad about myself, because I acknowledge who I am. I acknowledge that I'm an imperfect man, but I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, amen. Amen. So I want you all to know that God sees you today. He has all the resources that you need, and he's in control of every situation that you're facing. As we go out of this house today, I hope that you feel supported. I hope that you feel encouraged. I hope you feel that Jesus has your back. And so as we come towards the end, we're going to take communion like we do every month as a reminder. And you say, well, why do we do this every month? 
Well, it's a reminder of the blood that Jesus spilled for us. It's a reminder of the sacrifice that he took, of of the penalty that he paid on our behalf. And so if the ushers would like to come forward, what we're going to do, we're going to do it a little bit different this week. I know we have been uh, doing it where they come to you in your seat, but now that some of these COVID restrictions are being lifted a little bit, what we're going to do is they're going to be up here stationing themselves up front, and we're going to have everybody come down to the front, gather their elements, and then you can return to your seat. Once you've done that and everybody has their elements, then we will take communion together. But here's the thing, while they're getting in place, I just want to remind you all, we can live with a confidence because our God is sovereign. Confidence is the antidote of anxiety. And we've got a lot of people bound up with anxiety. We've got a lot of of our young people, our children that are bound up with anxiety. We've got a lot of our older people that are bound up with anxiety. We we all have our own worries. We all have our own things that, 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 that keep us awake at night. But confidence, when it's grounded in the right things, it's not a negative thing. You know, we've all probably known someone who was overconfident, right? I'm the best at everything. I'm the best that ever was, right? If you watch the Michael Jordan documentary, man, that is a confident man. He has no doubt in his own abilities on or off the court. But his, his confidence is grounded in himself and in his own abilities. I'm thankful that my confidence doesn't come from myself. My confidence comes from the Lord. So at this time, the praise team is going to sing. And uh, if you would all stand, we're going to come and collect the communion elements. Just make your way to the aisles, move forward and get the, the, the bread and the cup, and then we'll take that together.